This is Rhonda McBride, and I'll have more of my conversation with Vera Starbart in just a moment, but first, a little setup. Vera was one of the writers who helped to create some of the characters of the TV drama Alaska Daily. But now, fans of Alaska Daily will never know if Eileen Fitzgerald, a hard-nosed, hotshot reporter, will fall in love with a bush pilot and then put down roots in Alaska. Or what's behind her panic attacks? ABC has canceled the series after only one season. Hilary Swank played Fitzgerald, who had come to Alaska to rescue her reputation after she left a New York City newspaper in disgrace. A former editor recruited her to help investigate a series of cold cases involving missing and murdered indigenous women. Well, Eileen was neither impressed with the Alaska Daily, which operated out of a strip mall in Anchorage, nor the reporter that she was teamed up with, Roz Friendly, an Alaska native and one of the newspaper's rising stars played by Grace Dove. Here's a clip from the trailer of the show that sets the stage for the story's main arc, featuring the tension between Eileen and Roz. Roz, I want to put you on a story with Eileen. Another missing murdered native woman. And we need to show who's to blame. I work alone. Do you know anything about Alaska? She always liked this. Although Alaska Daily was fictional, some of its storylines were inspired by the work of Kyle Hopkins, an Anchorage Daily News reporter who won a Pulitzer Prize for his series Lawless, Sexual Violence in Alaska. In what would have been the show's second season, Vera Starbard had big plans for Eileen and Roz. As a Hlinkit from Juno, she had exposed the audience to Alaska Native heritage along with Andrew McLean, an Inupiaq filmmaker from Utkiavik on Alaska's North Slope. Both spent a lot of time in New York City in what was called the show's writing room, where sometimes they had to duke it out with other writers and producers to keep the show as authentically Alaskan as possible. Starbard says that they lost some of those battles, but that was part of the creative process for Alaska Daily. In our conversation with Vera Starbard, she shares more of the thinking behind the show. When did you know that the show was not going to be renewed? I got an email maybe 15 minutes before it hit the news, (laughs) which was actually 15 minutes earlier than I thought I would. I thought I'd find out on the news like everyone else. I know that it was a very crazy period of your life being a part of that production, that there were just frantic production schedules. How do you feel? Are you relieved or do you feel like you've got empty nest a little bit? Well, it's a little strange because you you are sort of on these long contracts, like I was on a two-year contract, but they cancel it, you're done. So I was sort of saying no to a lot of things or I need to wait and now I can do those things, but I had my schedule cleared to jump right back to New York and start writing again. And now I'm not doing that. 15 minutes before the news. That, that has to be a little bit of a gut punch though. So it was sort of a, Oh, okay. Now, now what do I do? All day yesterday I heard from so many people who loved the show were so encouraging during it. And that was, that was kind of a nice, I wasn't expecting that. I wasn't expecting to hear from, just so many people, many of whom I've never met, who just wanted to say, loved what you did with 
this episode or we love what all of you did with missing and murdered indigenous women. And that was just really nice. What do you feel that the show accomplished and proved? I do think that it spread some awareness, not just on the issue of missing and murdered indigenous women being an issue, like being a thing at all. I think that was new to a lot of people. It always surprises me how many people don't know about that. But so much of the goal was to show the infrastructural problems with why this is a problem. It's not just indigenous women and men happen to go missing a lot for some unknown reason. That's known. And that's kind of what the reporters did in this show was, we know this happens. We want to know why. And I did see an awful lot of response on, is that true? Is that really how it is? And people answering that. So that was great. I, I think that literally millions of people who saw the show now have to know this is an issue. And many of them are a, a little bit more educated on exactly why that's an issue. I also think we just educated people on Native people are people. <laughs> We're here existing, living, loving, hurting. That was an important one to me that we not just be a stereotype. And I think the show accomplished that too. Well, the show was Hollywood. <laughs> Because I still never got over the fact that uh, the investigative reporter Eileen was put up at the Hotel Captain Cook. <laughs> yeah, she uh, stayed at the Captain Cook for months and months and months on a reporter's salary. <laughs> the reporters most likely would be put up at a Motel 6 for a few days and left to fend for themselves, or a, a kindly colleague would be asked to house them. <laughs> In my defense, that was brought up a lot. <laughs> And sometimes it's just, well, that set is built. <laughs> you know, like, it's, we can we could just do that. And then the very end of the season, they're helping her move in. It was it was kind of a statement on she's going to move in now and stay here versus just sort of perpetually live at a hotel and not commit. So I I myself imagined a backstory where she like had had a very good savings. <laughs> Well, there were so many threads in, in, in the plot that were developing. Her relationship with the pilot, was that going to turn into something? Her relationship with Roz, were they going to become real allies? And were they both going to learn things that helped them to be better journalists? Yeah, for sure. Every single episode was sort of tracking where are Eileen and Roz in their relationship. You know, at the beginning, we don't want to work together, period. <laughs> you know? Eileen thinks she's too good of a reporter to sort of babysit this younger reporter. Roz, I think, very rightfully goes, like, she doesn't even know the state. She doesn't know Alaska Native people. Why are we letting her loose? And she thinks she can do it alone. And that, to me, is the most important relationship of the whole show, that they mutually respect each other's gifts, strengths, and have a few setbacks, but ultimately they've learned a, a lot from each other. I think to many people, especially Alaska Natives, Roz was just a real gift. Oh, yeah. Honestly, she's the reason I signed on to the show. Like, okay, here's a real Alaska Native character. This isn't some silent nobody who's going to get two lines and just exist in the background but who's really going to sort of fight for her own space and fight for her right to be there and I really liked that about the character well at first Eileen 
being the hot New York investigative reporter, didn't want to have anything to do with Roz and, and didn't really think she needed any cultural knowledge to interview Alaska Natives or to visit rural communities. Oh, yeah. She didn't see the humanity in it quite as much. And I've met many reporters like this who like, they like the facts, they like the big, the, the sort of big moments, the big players, but who didn't quite see all of who this was affecting. And once she was really introduced to the idea that this isn't just sort of a big story you're going to drop, you know, come in, expose and run out again, that this was something that was really affecting people and that a more detailed, more nuanced look at it could really make some differences for the community. I know that it's hard, you know, when you're not sure whether or not a show is going to continue, but did you have any plans for Roz and Eileen? I I know it was headed towards an alliance, but would there have been some aha experience that those two would have had? Of course, we talked about season two, but it's all with the knowledge that this could be it. So you, you kind of try and do both. You kind of try and wrap them up and you kind of try and leave it open. And But I think for Roz and Eileen, we spent so much time putting them together. We we're actually going to see Roz especially really be on her own. What she's learned from Eileen, what Eileen has certainly learned from her, and Eileen being able to go out in the communities and actually not step on her words you know, quite so much. But for Roz, there's a reason that Stanley picked her in the first place. She's a great reporter, and she can stand on her own two feet. I have to ask, what about the romance with the pilot? Or or it could have gone the other direction with the CEO of Alaska Daily. And, of course, he bought it out from under his father, and there was going to be competition between those two. I got to say that was almost an organic sort of triangle because – I will never say publicly, like, who I might even been rooting to kill. <laughs> oh, you're so cruel. <laughs> but it's, it would have been so good. I, I love a good love triangle where someone dies. But it was almost organic. A lot of these, like, you have to be able to adjust. As writers, we can put it all together in a room. But then there's a reason writers go to set, right? Once you're there and you're seeing how... <laughs> actors react to each other, how it's playing on screen. And actually we had the benefit of seeing it on screen and, and people reacting to it as an audience, literally as we were writing it. And so it changed. That actually very much changed from the original idea of what it was going to be just as we were going and the actors were together and um, you're seeing their chemistry and whatnot. So honestly, <laughs> how it ended up in the, in the finale, we didn't know until until I was literally writing it, and then it even changed on set. So I genuinely have no idea where that would have ended up because it was so dependent on how all these actors are reacting, how the audience is reacting to it, which was kind of fun. Coming from theater and animation, you don't ever get to see that kind of organic writing happening and organic storytelling happening. So that was kind of fun, but also stressful because you do have to sort of change the plan very last minute. So what did you learn from this experience you think that you may be able to build upon in the future? Oh my goodness, just how much it takes to film 30 seconds. I mean, it can be hours and hours to film that 30 seconds. And now I understand why, or now I understand why it takes hundreds and hundreds of people 
to put together that 30 seconds. It's just extraordinary the amount of work that goes into it. So we're in a writer's strike right now. <laughs> the uh, WGA is striking because the Hollywood studios aren't giving really a fair fair pay deal. And before that, I wouldn't have known most of what is being asked for uh, is incredibly reasonable. And a lot of that has to do with getting experience as a writer. It's much harder to even get experience as sort of that lower rung writer. As far as portraying Indigenous people, do you think that Alaska Daily accomplished something different? I mean, I remember Northern Exposure and how it had some flavors of Alaska, but it was far from being authentically Alaskan. And and I know that this is just a Hollywood production like a lot of others, and truth sometimes has to give way to a storyline that works better for the production. But it did seem to me that there was something unprecedented about Alaska Daily. Your involvement, Andrew McLean and Kyle Hopkins, a journalist from the Anchorage Daily News, Pulitzer Prize winning journalist who actually covered some of these issues. Do you think Alaska Daily maybe made some history here? I sure hope so. I I was very worried. I can't speak for any of the other Alaskans, but I was very worried it would be sort of the show we're used to about Alaska, where, oh gosh, it doesn't even remotely look like Alaska, where a lot of just stereotypes play up and they kind of just want the one thing that we're all used to seeing. And some guy stuck in a cabin in the woods, you know, from the very beginning, because uh, this was all inspired by Call Hopkins and the Anchor Daily News and the series about law enforcement in rural Alaska. And so it was literally inspired by a very real issue, a very real series. So it was starting from a good place, I think. At the same time, that can tend to kind of go really sensationalist. And that's something I know I was really focused on, Andrew was really focused on, and I, I think we... And others in the writing room, like for for us, it was important because we were representing Alaska. But I can say like from the very first day, it was, oh my gosh, I do not want to be kicked out of Alaska. We just really wanted to make sure that what was going up on the screen looked like the place we live and love and the people we know, that these people weren't caricatures, but they are our neighbors. They are the people we've met, the people we fought with, that even the antagonists are realistic. They're not sort of like twisting their mustache for no reason, like that they have their own reasons too. And I do hope people look at this show and say, oh, maybe maybe that's a little bit more Alaska. Maybe that's a little bit more interesting. Well, one of the things you said when we had a conversation back in the early days of the show's production was that to look for Easter eggs. <laughs> I think you'd put all kinds of little Easter eggs there, like earrings, chesbooks, <laughs> and a tikluks. And so, so tell us a little bit about the, the Easter eggs that we might have missed, because we can still watch it on Hulu and, and other venues. Oh, yeah. I lost track of how many earrings. And this was from a great relationship with the costume designer and the props master. And again, that's like one of the great things about 
this was just learning how much involvement the writer can have with the team. The costume designer and props masters, like, they came ready for that. And so they wanted to know, not only does this look authentic, but who can we buy this jewelry from? Who can we buy this clothing from? What would they really be wearing? Like, the entire village isn't going to be wearing nice cuspucks just walking around all day. Some of them might have a cuspuck. Some of them might have a ratty old sweatshirt. They, they really wanted to know authentically made Alaska Native stuff, but what will Alaska Native people really be wearing? We gave them a lot of names, but they did so much of the research themselves, too. Things like they're, they're just playing a basketball game. But we happen to know Trickster Company, they have form-line design basketball, so stick that in. There were so, so many Atik looks made by Mary Kirsami in Anchorage, because if it's someone like Irene Bedard or Hilary Swank or some of the lead actors, they need multiples of each of those. You know, Grace Dove, who wore so many great earrings. They needed two to four pairs of every single one of those earrings. Um, Rico Whirl, he designed this canoe that's just kind of in the background. That was in my episode, the last episode. He designed a canoe. The very last episode, they're burning the cedar chips in memory of the missing and murdered indigenous women. Actually, one of them was wearing my button blanket that I made. My mom's hats, my dad's drums, my sister made some of the clothing. Other Southeast artists made so much of the clothing. There was so much regalia that I genuinely couldn't even tell you sort of how, how many people were represented there, but every episode had some Alaska Native artists. Well, I hope people who haven't seen the series and even people like me that did follow it will revisit those episodes because there was so much packed in there that I don't know that on a first viewing that, that you would be able to soak it all in. But remind us who some of the cameos were, some of the Alaska Native artists. You mentioned Irene Bedard, some of the others, like I believe Diane Benson had a quick cameo in the beginning. Diane Benson was in the very first episode, and Irene was in a cameo. She was actually one of the featured actors throughout the whole season. We saw her in probably half of the episode because it was her daughter that was murdered. And so that's the story we're kind of following. The very last episode, Aaron Tripp and Frank Katas from here. From Juno. Bumya got a nice little nice little run uh, with Byron Nikolai in episode six, I think. Ayukasatak in episode three. Which episodes were yours where you had a, had a major role in writing the script? Uh, as a staff writer, all of them, like there were scenes I wrote in quite a few episodes. And it's it's kind of cool to see your influence on different episodes. Either you came up with or you wrote or whatever. But uh, the very last episode was written by me, which was episode 11. And that was one of the most powerful episodes. I was very grateful to get it. <laughs> So for those of us who may not have seen it, can you recap that episode? Yeah, it's kind of the wrap-up for the season. So you're sort of wrapping up all of these different storylines and trying to make it the satisfactory ending, including revealing who the sort of real killer is. We, we'd kind of revealed that in the episode before. But more importantly in ours is they, they reveal it, but even after Rod's and Eileen have this scene where they're going like, why does that feel like not enough? And it's because it was never about the killer. It was about the system. 
missing and murdered indigenous women and men, that's an issue because of the systems, not just one killer. And that's, you know, we're done. That's the problem. And of course, spoiler alert, but Eileen decides to stay in Alaska after, after all her adventures. And it's kind of a defining moment for her because she's offered a chance to go back to the big time. Yeah. And we wanted for that to be just a real choice. Like this is not just, well, I guess I'm done with this. Maybe I'll find something else to do, but really like decide, oh, maybe it's not about sort of the big, the big shiny stories all the time. It's about these important stories that actually make a difference. Like this actually made a difference. They called her like a headhunter or a, a big game hunter where she liked to just take down the big people. And that's what she comes in thinking she's going to do. She's going to take down the big bad guy and then run out again. And here she kind of finds out it's, it's about so much more than that. So, so she decides that she might want to stick around and Alaska has a lot of stories. You know, for me as a, as a journalist in Alaska, I think that is the beauty of being a reporter in a, a state like ours is that they really, first of all, need good reporters. They need people to stay long enough to understand the issues. But also, a lot of reporters every day have a huge impact on their communities, especially in the, in the small communities where... That's not going to be something that a publication like the quote-unquote Alaska Daily would would cover. But reporters every day in Alaska cover issues that have a direct impact right in their own community. And they wouldn't get covered anywhere else. Exactly. Episode 6 was one of those episodes I cared about a lot because it really showed the impact that journalism can have on a story and how it can shift something I, I wanted to show the negative part too, where, and I, I keep saying I, this was a, a sort of team effort and this is both the power and the responsibility of journalism. And sometimes it's down to more often now it's down to resources and all these important stories can't happen if we can't pay reporters to do that. You know, I honestly, I think one of the most unrealistic parts of the whole series is that they have two full reporters just on one story the entire season <laughs> that that to me was like I, I don't I don't see any small newspaper affording two entire reporters to just work on one story for months and months at a time but this is the kind of result you can get if if you can do that well in just saying goodbye to this series what was the low point and what was the high point for you Oh, gosh. <laughs> I'd say the low point was not a single point, but there were points where just as a Native writer, as a Native person working on the show, when that wasn't understood or valued, that was a struggle. And that's something that just comes up over and over again, no matter what project. People don't understand Native culture, Native ways, Native people, 40% of the U.S. population doesn't even know we still exist. I spend so much of my time in Native 101 talking about the very basics all the time when I sort of want to go into our beautiful, nuanced, complex issues and culture and people that just have so many complications to them. And yet I spend most of my time saying, okay, we have more than one language. What for you 
was really outstanding that you will always remember and be grateful for? It was the reaction of the audience, but more specifically, Alaska Native people. Alaskans for sure, so I wasn't going to get kicked out. But when I saw how Alaska Native people just celebrated seeing themselves on TV and felt moved by seeing themselves realistically portrayed on TV, um, who saw literally saw themselves with their real Alaska Native people who are in this show on network primetime television with Hillary Swank, and that that was an exciting thing. Uh, that was the best thing. I was so sort of terrified of how Alaska Native people would accept this and wanted to sort of do right by them. To see that reaction was just the best. Like, I wasn't afraid anymore after I just started sort of seeing how they were taking the show. Vera, I know it sounds odd to say this, especially since Alaska Daily has been canceled, but I think you, Andrew McLean, and all the other Alaskans that were involved in bringing the show to a national audience really deserve a huge congratulations. Oh, goodness, cheese. <laughs> well, goodness, cheese to everyone, <laughs> to all of you for all that you accomplished with this series. Thank you so much, Vera. I appreciate the time with you. Thanks so much. Vera Starbard, one of the screenwriters for Alaska Daily. I'm Rhonda McBride, and thank you for listening.